Hello, and thanks so much for tuning into the Digging Deeper podcast with Pastor Ken Vance. This podcast is designed to go a step beyond the Sunday teaching with a more in-depth look at the topic Pastor Ken shared with us this past weekend. So whether you're on your way home from work or pouring yourself a fresh cup of coffee, we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode. And now, here's Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken Vance. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Ken Vance, the Senior Pastor at Vertical Church, and this is our weekly podcast, Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken. This podcast is designed for those that want to go beyond Sunday morning, to keep the conversation going, to dig deeper into the truths of God's Word so that they can be established in the faith. It's for those who are hungry and desiring to learn more and grow more in their faith as they learn to be truly devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited to share these messages with you, and I'm excited as we enter into the month of December, what we're going to be talking about this month is the Christmas story. Before we go there, it's too often when we hear the Christmas story, we have much familiarity, we have much experience, we have much tradition we've been raised in, and so often we can listen to a very familiar story and think we already know what's all been said in it. And But I really want us, through the course of these conversations, to look at the story with fresh eyes, to look at the Christmas story in a new light, because often when we're very familiar with things, we tend to miss the nuances. We tend to miss the raw and real of what was going down in the story. And therefore, we can miss some of the most important messages God's attempting to communicate to us. The way in which this story was written was written for our admonition. It was written for our help and growth in our faith. And sometimes familiarity can cause us to feel like we already know it without realizing there is something God is speaking to us in it. And so that's what I'm hoping in this series of discussions that we can take a a look, a fresh look at this, because too often as time goes on and, and, and because of our faith, because of our, uh, our reverence for God and for the characters that are in the stories of the Bible, we have a tendency to baptize them in honey. We tend to look at the situations through rose colored glasses without really seeing sometimes what they were facing, all that they had to encounter, the raw, the real. And it's when we look at life from the real perspective that when we look at life through, those, through that lens, it, tr- it tends to help us because our lives are raw and real. Our lives are not a fantasy story. We face challenges and difficulties. And that's why the scriptures were written, because all of these characters face challenges and difficulties and what they came out realizing was that God is faithful, that God is good, that God loves us immensely. And that's encouraging for us. That brings inspiration and hope for us. And that's what I hope to accomplish through these series of discussions is that we kind of see the message that God is communicating to us individually, to us personally in the 21st century, that the truth of God is just as alive, just as real for us today. And the challenges we face as it was for those who faced these things in the first century. So as we get ready to go into it today, um, it's important. We're going to, in this series, look at some of the characters, some of the players who were involved and the lessons that they learned. 
uh, that were recorded for us. And so today we're going to begin in Luke chapter one. And I want to, I want to kind of, uh, um, help us see and understand the difference, what true faith is all about. Because the Christmas story is a story of faith, that those who God used, those who God worked with to bring his will to pass were those who responded to him in faith. And the Bible teaches us in the book of Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, to understand this, faith is believing that God is who he said he is and that he will do what he promised to do. And these characters that we're going to look at in the, in the stories as we kind of unfold this are individuals who discover that truly God is who he said he is and that he was faithful to do all that he promised to do. And so in this first lesson today, I want to contrast two separate people who are important figures in the Christmas story, but their response to God gives us a true lesson of what true biblical faith is supposed to be. And who are the people that I'm talking about today? It is Zechariah, who was a priest. He was faithful in the ways of God. Um, he was the father of John the Baptist. And we're going to talk about Mary who obviously became the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, we're going to be turning to Luke, Luke chapter 1. And it's important, Luke's the one that goes into great detail in this story. And when Luke sets up his gospel, he tells uh, uh, the, the reason for which he wrote, why he set this up. Luke was a physician. Luke was a, a companion of Paul. But he wanted to put an orderly account together of the life of Jesus and all the events. So he spent great time interviewing the eyewitnesses, the people who were uh, there, the people who had experienced what had happened. And so Luke is very, very detailed in his account of the life of Jesus. And so Luke is one of the writers of the gospel that actually deal with the birth of Christ. The only two gospel writers that dealt with the birth of Jesus was Matthew and Luke. But Luke goes into it in far more detail. And we pick the story up in Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So both of these people, both Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, were from the lineage of Aaron. The priests of Israel all came from the lineage of Aaron. So Zechariah was fulfilling his uh, birthright. He was a priest to God, but his wife was also a part of that, that, that lineage. And it says here, both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So it sets the story up with this realization. Two of these people were tremendously faithful to God. They had lived their lives in accordance with God's will and purpose for them. Zechariah had been faithful in his duties as a priest, but they had also lived outside. Their, their private lives were not different than their public lives, which is also important in the aspect of faith. It's not, faith isn't something that we put on. 
um, when we want God to do something in our life. Faith is a lifestyle. It's the way we live. It's living that God truly is who he said he is. Therefore, our the way in which we live is a way that we communicate our love and our desire for God. And I do want to note this because many people can be confused about the issue of faith. Faith is not a formula. Faith is the product of a relationship. Faith is in trusting God, but you can't trust somebody that you don't know. So again, faith grows as we know God and understand his will and his ways. But we do God's will when we trust that he is who he said he is. So here in this essence, Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, had been faithful to God. They truly did believe he was who he said he was, and their lifestyles communicated that. But look at verse 8. It said, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. That was one of the duties that the priests were to fulfill. But the ones that went into the inner sanctum, the, 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 there was two places in the temple of, of, of um, Israel. There was the holy place and then the holy of holies. And so the, the altar of incense was in the holy place. It was in that inner sanctum. And so it tells us at this particular point in the life of Israel that he was chosen by lot to do this specific duty. It was a great honor to burn incense on the golden altar. And it says, And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Side note on this, which is fascinating to this, whenever angels in the Bible, Old and New Testament alike, appeared to righteous people, their very first communication is, fear not, do not fear. Because in essence, one responsibility that angels perform before God is to be messengers. And so here, this particular angel, who we come to find out is Gabriel, he brings a message to Zechariah, but Zechariah's first encounter, and this is fascinating because for 400 years, God had been silent. After, after God communicated through the prophet Malachi, there was 400 years of silence. God had not communicated with the nation of Israel. Now, they had the written communications of the scriptures of all that had been written for them as a nation, but there was no fresh, no, no present-day communication that God had made. And so this, what's happening in the temple right now, is breaking the silence. So you got to imagine, Zechariah is a bit startled by this, because it wasn't like he went in there expecting a message from God, because that hadn't happened in 400 years. And so the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, 
and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, what's fascinating here, what the Israelites, especially when you understand first century Israel, there had grown such a hunger and such an, a desire for the people of Israel for the Messiah to come. They had lived under oppression, and now they were living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Um, they were living under a, 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 a king who was uh, um, not a righteous king, Herod. He was a puppet of, of the Roman government. He was not a friend to Israel in one sense. Um, he was not truly a faithful follower of the, of the one true God. And so the people had earnestly desired the promises that God had made in the Old Testament, that the one would come, the Messiah, who would bring again the, the, the righteous reign of God to the nation of Israel and affect all the nations of the world. And so the people of Israel were desirous of seeing the Messiah. And why I say all of that is that here, this angel is bringing Zechariah a message that he and his wife Elizabeth will bear a child, and their child will be the forerunner to the Messiah. The Israelites had recognized and understood that the promise, the last promise that um, Malachi had spoken was that Elijah would come. The, the one would come in the spirit of Elijah, and he would turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. He, would, In other words, he would turn the nation of Israel back to Almighty God. Again, fulfilling the prophecies of the prophets of old, Isaiah said, that there would one be come and he would proclaim the coming of the Lord and every mountain would be made low and every valley exalted and, and a way would be set forth in the wilderness, a highway to our God. And so here, this angel is bringing Zechariah a promise that he and his wife Elizabeth will be, the, will be the ones that God has chosen to bring this forerunner through. They were to have a son, they were to name him John. And he would be that prophet. He would be that one that would proclaim the coming of the Lord and the kingdom of our God. So, I mean, this is amazing news. This is, this is absolutely astounding what he's being told. But look at how Zechariah responds. And that's what I want to pay attention to here. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? He didn't ask him, how will it happen? He asked him, how can I be sure that what you're telling me is true. In other words, he wants to believe it, but he's doubting. What's fascinating to me, when you look back over what's been said here, the very first thing the angel told him, beside not fearing, was that God had heard his prayers. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth had never conceived. They never had been able to bring children into the world. And to the Jewish people, especially in the first century, children were, were a mark of their, uh, 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 it was a mark of grace. It was, it was an honor. It was something that they earnestly sought. The Israelites recognized that the blessing of God was to be fruitful and multiply. And so children were saw as a sign of the faithfulness and goodness and blessing of God upon a couple. And so for them, they probably wrangled with this all these years. They had been faithful to God. They had lived their lives righteously before God. It probably caused them to wonder why. Why had they never conceived? Why had this been withheld from them? Why had they not been able? 
to bring children into the world. And now, a messenger from God, an angel, here is a supernatural revelation given to this man in the temple of God that not only has God heard their prayers, but their son that they are to conceive will be the one that will usher in the promised Messiah. I mean, this is amazing. This is awesome news that's being told to Zechariah. But he asks, he says, how can I be sure of this? Well, think about this for a moment. Number one, an angel of God is telling him this. What is he looking for? What sign is he looking to, to make this real to him? In other words, is what the angel saying not enough? You see, he had prayed for years. God had heard his prayers. But you see, for our lives, how often are we doubting and wondering when we know the promise that God's word speaks to us, that we look for more than that? See, he was looking for more than just what God had spoken. But when we come to recognize what is true faith, again, faith is believing that God is who he said he is, that God will do what he said he will do. And you have to recognize here in context that, Abraham, that, that, that Zechariah was a child of Abraham. The covenant that God had created with the nation of Israel began with Abraham. And so all of the people of Israel were well acquainted with the story of Abraham. And if we know anything about it from a biblical point of view, Abraham was told by God that he would have a son, a son through his wife, Sarah, because like Zachariah and Elizabeth, Abraham, having been married a long time to Sarah, had never been able to bring children into the world. In other words, they were not able to conceive. And so the promise that God had spoken to Abraham, and if, it's interesting because when God spoke the promise to Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old. By the time the promise was fulfilled and Isaac was born, Abraham was a hundred years old, 25 years from the moment in which God had promised Abraham that he would have a child through his wife, Sarah. It was 25 years later when that promise was fulfilled. Now to all the Israelites who grew up hearing the story, they recognize God's faithful. God fulfills his promises. Now, Abraham, when he was walking through that situation, obviously, could have doubted and could have wondered whether it was true, but they knew this. And that's why the writer of, of Romans, when Paul wrote Romans, it said, who against hope believed in hope that he would have a child according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. The Bible went on to say, he goes, for Abraham was not weak in faith, but was strong in faith. Why? Because he considered not his own body, now dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. What the Israelites had grown up knowing is that true faith is the willingness to accept what God says is true and believe that because God is faithful. God was faithful to Abraham and Sarah, and they bore a child who was Isaac, who was the heir of the covenant promise. And so in essence, when God is telling this to Zechariah, why would Zechariah feel he needed something more than what the angel was declaring to him? Because he was a child of Abraham. 
Here was the word of the Lord to him. You will have a son and you are to name him John. He will fulfill all of these amazing things on behalf of the nation of Israel. And he will be a joy and delight to you and Elizabeth. But yet, Zechariah is wondering. And so, went on to say, because I think about this. Jesus, in a story that he told, a story in, found in Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was telling this story, that the rich man, when he died, was found in hell, and the Lazarus, when he died, was taken by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And so the rich man had looked up and saw Abraham, and he asked him, hey, send Lazarus down here to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. And Abraham explained to him that there was a great gulf between them, and they could not go from where uh, they were to him or him to them. And this man asks in desperation for Abraham to send back uh, uh, um, Lazarus to speak to his five brothers. He says, I have five brothers. Please send Lazarus to speak to them so they do not come to this place of torment. And Abraham's response to him was, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, what he was saying, they have the word of God. And the rich man said, no, 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 Father Abraham. If someone comes back from the dead, they will listen. And I love this because it's so true. It's a principle that Jesus taught. He's, Abraham says to the rich man, if your brothers do not accept the word of God, why would you think that a sign or some uh, a miracle happening will cause them to believe? You see, if God's word is not enough, then questions and wonders and all the rest... God's word is the basis of faith. That's why in Romans 10, 17, it said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it, what, what, how did the angel respond to Zechariah saying, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. In other words, his conditions and circumstances were dictating what he would believe. It's a little like Peter. When Jesus called Peter out of the boat, there was a story in the gospels when the Jesus had told the disciples to go in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. And they had encountered a storm while they were out in the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus came to them walking on the water and the disciples freaked out. They thought it was a, a ghost. And Jesus said, no, it is I. And Peter said, if it is you, Lord, cause me to come out or tell me to come out on the water to you. Now, it's kind of a crazy scenario because what choice did Jesus have? Because in essence, Peter said, if it is you, Lord, tell me to come out to you on the water. Well, Jesus was who he is. And so he said, come. What's important in the story is that one word from God is capable of bringing to pass all that it promises. One word from Jesus gave Peter the ability to actually step out of a boat and walk on water. That is fascinating. But what happened in the story was this. Peter got out of the boat and he was walking on water. And then what happened? He saw the storm and the waves. He saw the wind and the, the boisterous conditions. And beginning to fear, he began to sink and cried out to the Lord, save him. And so Jesus reached out his hand, grabbed him, brought him back into the boat. And asked him this question, why did you doubt, O oh, you of little faith? You see, little faith assumes that God can only do in my life what he promised when the circumstances are right. 
What's so fascinating is when Peter was walking on the water, he forgot the realization he was able to do what he did, not anything to do with his circumstances, but truly by obeying God's word, by doing what Jesus said do. When Jesus said come, that word had enough power to cause him to do something supernatural. And that's what we have to understand. Faith is an action to what God says. It's the ability to assess that the promise of God is true despite my circumstances. And that's what Zechariah was struggling with here. His circumstances, his years of marriage, his age, and all the times that he and his wife had tried had caused him to be discouraged. And now he's attempting to uh, uh, look through the filter of his past experiences as to whether or not he could trust God. But here, what is being said to him is that God's word is enough. And so look at how, how the angel responds. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. So there's where we learn the, the identity of this angel. I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you, to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. In other words, God is giving us the lesson here that true faith is believing what God said, period. It doesn't require any sign. It doesn't require any other confirmation other than what God said. And so he struck him silent and look, verse 21 says, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. What's fascinating to me is that Zechariah, the, 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 the sign of his silence was sufficient enough for him to go home because he and his wife becoming pregnant, this was not a supernatural birth in the sense that, uh, like Mary, a virgin conception. That this was the, 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 the normal way children are born, through the relation of the husband and the wife. So Zechariah obviously went home and acted on his faith because his wife became pregnant. And it's like the story, because here in this, it's, it's giving us an illustration. John tells us, when uh, Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, had not been in the room after the resurrection, the disciples were together, and for fear of the Jews, they were behind locked doors. Jesus came behind the locked doors. He said to them, I am he, look at me. Um, and they had a meal together, and, but Thomas was not with them when this occurred. And so the disciples told Thomas when he came back, hey, we've seen the Lord. He's been with us. And Thomas says, no, I won't believe it until I see the, 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 the holes in his hands, until I thrust my hand into his side where he was pierced with the, with the sword of the Roman centurion. And a week later, Jesus appeared to the disciples again behind the closed doors, and Thomas this time was with them. And he said, Thomas, be not unbelieving, but believe. He said, look, hither, reach hither and touch my hands. Throw your, thrust your hand into my side and see that it is I. Be not unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas in that moment said, Lord and my God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Thomas, do you do believe, but, 
more blessed are those that believe without having to see. In other words, Jesus didn't necessarily endorse the faith of Thomas in the sense that Thomas needed to have a sign to believe. Jesus was encouraging us that true faith is the ability to trust what God's word says without having to see a sign or proof. And that's why it's important because the next story gives us the realization of true biblical faith. The story of Mary, because it goes on to say in the as Luke writes, he says, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel. Now, he used the same angel again. Gabriel is now bringing this news to this virgin in Nazareth named Mary. It says, he sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, you think about this. Mary was a teenager in this particular case. And now this angel appears to her and gives her this this, this greeting. You are highly favored and the Lord is with you. Yeah, that's probably disturbing. I mean, what had she done? And it's important for us to recognize that God's favor is not based on our, what we do. It's based on his grace. You see, the message of grace begins to flow out through the Christmas story that God chooses and God empowers. It's not based on earning something. It's based on the goodness of God that he chooses to use ones to do his will. And that's what you and I need to recognize, that God will work through our lives because our faith is based on God's grace to us, based on God's favor on our lives, not because we've earned it, but because he's chosen us, because he has declared his goodness to us. And so it says in verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now notice Mary asks a question too, but it's not the same as Zechariah. Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? Mary simply asked in verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? In other words, I never had relations with a man. I'm pledged to Joseph. How will this be? And the, ans- and the angel answers her and says, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And then verse 37, which is so critical. This is an important part of the story. It said, No word from God will ever fail. Now that's NIV. Some translations say, nothing is impossible with God. Some translate this verse as, no word from God is devoid of the power to make it come to pass. What you and I must recognize is that God's, the way in which God works, God always works through his word. God's word, Jesus taught in this way, is the seed. And like any seed, a seed has within it everything necessary to cause life and, and production to come from it. Whatever a seed is, 
An apple seed has the ability for an apple tree and apples to grow from it. Um, it's all contained in the seed. It just needs the right environment. It needs to be placed in soil. It needs to have the moisture so that it can germinate and grow. And you see, a word from God is a seed. Everything God promises, the promise in itself is powerful and able to produce all that it said it will do. It just simply needs someone to believe it. And that's why there are two sides to faith. We believe it, which means to be persuaded, but we have faith. The word, the word believe in the Greek language is the word pisteo. It means to be persuaded. The word faith is the word pistis, and it means to be fully persuaded. The difference between the two is simple. When we become persuaded enough to submit to it and to do it, that's when faith enacts the power of God's promises. Because God works through his word, but he works through those who believe it. Those who allow the power that's contained in it to work in them, to work through them so that God's purposes can be fulfilled in the lives of his people. And so Mary had asked the question, and so the angel gives her the understanding that the Holy Spirit will make this happen, that the child that would be born in her will be the Son of God. And so in essence, no word from God will ever fail. In other words, how will it happen? What I'm telling you is sufficient, because the Holy Spirit will use this word to, to cause a child to be conceived in your womb. And notice Mary's response. She said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. Some translations say it, may it be unto me according to your word. True faith is when we surrender and say, what you have spoken, almighty God, I trust and believe to be true. What you have spoken, almighty God, I don't need any other uh, 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 confirmation from. Your word is true and I believe it. And that's what's important to recognize because in this Christmas story, we see the realization of what true faith is. And so you and I need to begin to recognize the things that God has spoken over our lives are true. The things that God has spoken over our lives can come to pass in us when we believe it. See, there is so much the Bible says that we are forgiven, that we are loved, that we are uh, uh, um, endowed by God with many things that he desires to do in and through our lives. The Holy Spirit has come to live in us, and greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The scriptures say, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. All of these promises that the scripture speaks, they are to us who believe. And when we believe them, when we trust in them, and it is how God works in our lives, the entirety of the revelation of Scripture gives us the realization how God works in and through the lives of human beings are those who trust in Him, those who believe in Him. They believe that what He has said is true and that He will fulfill it. Like I said with Abraham before in Romans 4, he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. You see, when, we, when our mind gets in the way and we try to figure out how's God, it's good, how God is going to do it, that's not faith. Faith is trusting. Faith is recognizing that God is who he said he is. I'm not God, but God is God. How it comes to pass is God's responsibility. My job is simply to believe it. My job is to trust in it. My, body's, my job is to obey what God has spoken because I believe what he said is true. 
And that is how God brings his will to pass in our lives. But you see, what can hinder us is sometimes we have a distorted view of God. Sometimes we don't see God as he truly is. And that's why he came to Mary and said, you are highly favored. You have found favor with God and you and I must recognize that that's what Jesus' birth represented to you and I, that God loves us immensely. Why? Because when we were yet sinners, Christ died. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we, we have to get to the point where we see not just the world in general, but we need to see that in a personal way, that God loves me. Because the, the truth is, faith is a product of relationship. It's hard to trust in somebody you don't feel loves you, believes in you, or is for you. But the Bible tells us that if God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? That's why faith is a growing re reality. It's learning to walk in relationship with God. It's learning to trust his promises and orchestrate our life in accordance with his word. Whether our mind agrees with it or not, whether it seems to us to be the right thing or not. That's why Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said these words. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Because see, when you lean to your own understanding, you'd be like Zechariah. You're trying to figure out how this is going to come to pass and how can I be sure of this? But no, lean not to your own understanding, but surrender to God and he will direct your way. Acknowledge God that he is true, that what he has spoken is true, and I believe it. And that's why it's important, as it says in Romans 3, let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, you find many different people who have opinions about what can and will happen in our lives. But when we trust in what God has spoken over our lives, when we trust in what God has said, who we are and what we can accomplish, that's when the, the possibilities of God are absolutely unleashed in our life. Nothing is impossible with God. But I love it because another part, point in Scripture says, nothing is impossible to them that believe. You see, that's the intersection of where God's power is released in our lives. When we have faith, when we trust that what God has spoken is true and that we're willing to align our lives with it, that's the lesson we learned from Mary. She said, so be it unto me. I am the Lord's servant. Be it unto me according to your word. And when we learn to live as a follower of Christ, we learn to let Jesus be Lord over every facet of our lives, that what he has spoken is in truth. And that's why the commission, the great commission tells us that to make disciples, Jesus told the disciples to go out and command them to obey everything that I have taught you. Why? Because when we embrace the word of God, when we embrace the teachings of Jesus, it, it creates a freedom a liberty in our lives. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then will you be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's when we hear and obey God's word that we see the power of God operate and work in our lives. It's what takes away all of the areas that it's not based on my experience, it's not based on my past, it's not based on any other thing that what, other than what God has spoken. True faith is the realization of believing that I am who God says I am, that I can do what God says I can do, and that I submit to that, I obey that, and I trust God with the outcomes of my life. That's what we learn out of the Christmas story. And I want to leave you with this last verse, because Paul commended the church in Thessalonia. 
In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, it says, And I also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word. In other words, when you and I grow in our faith, we begin to recognize that the Bible is in truth the word of God. And when we listen to it, when we read it, when we hear it, do it, we need to be able to hear the voice of God speaking to us in this, that he is faithful, that he will do everything he has promised to do, that when we hold fast to the promises of God, we recognize that God is who he said he is. He will do everything he promised to do. And he said this, for you accepted it not as in human word, but it, as it actually is the word of God, which indeed is at work in you who believe. When he said, when is that work in you? It's the word in duo. It's a word that means God's power working, God's might working on our behalf. It's an endowment of God's grace working through us. You see, the power of God is released in our lives when we believe what he has spoken is true. And that's what's important. And that's the takeaway from this lesson today, that Mary is the example for us of what true faith is all about. Even though the circumstances that the, the angel spoke to her were difficult. I mean, she was a teenager. Think about this. Mary had to battle through the idea that as a teenager becoming pregnant outside of marriage, she could have been killed by her community. That was a disgrace in Israel. Could she convince Joseph that this was truly a supernatural birth? I mean, she had so much that she had to rely on God. But she said, let it be to me according to your word. And that's where faith comes in, is you have to stop trying to figure out how God's going to do it. You have to realize that sometimes faith causes you to risk. It causes you to step out. It causes you to do things in your life that you would not otherwise necessarily do. But when you trust in God, when you believe that God has spoken it and God will bring it to pass, it's the most exciting adventure that we can experience in life. And that's what Mary had the awesome privilege to be a part of. She became the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. She should be honored in respect to it because she is a model of true faith. And so in essence, Zechariah, when did his tongue get loosed? When did he break the silence? When the baby was born and that they were going to go name the child. Elizabeth said, we're, call, we're gonna call him John. But the others, the leaders, the men in the room, because at the time in the first century, women in ancient Israel didn't have a voice of authority. Women couldn't testify in a courtroom. Women didn't have any authority in that end. And so they were like, no, 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 no. Nobody that's from your lineage has ever been named John. And so they, they looked to Zechariah and he said, bring him a re he, he, he motioned for them to bring him a writing tablet. And when you wrote on the tablet, his name is John, immediately at that moment. Because see, he was affirming what the angel told him in the temple. Because the angel said to him, you will, you will bring to pass, a child will come through you and your wife Elizabeth, and you are to name him John. You see, he affirmed what he believed in that moment. He stood by the word from God. He named his son John in obedience to what the angel had spoken to him. And at that moment, his tongue was loosed and the spirit of the Lord filled him and he prophesied. And how important it is for us to stand by what God has spoken, to believe and to trust in what God has said, to affirm with our own lips this, the, the truth of God's word 
And that's what I want to leave us with today. That's how faith comes, by hearing. And the most important person we should hear it from is ourselves. When we speak and affirm, because why? Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And it's important because as we speak out the promises of God, our faith begins to grow because we are listening to our own selves agree with God. When we confess God's word, because the word confess in Hebrew is the word homologio, and it comes from two Greek words, homo, which means same, elogios, which is a derivative of the word logos, which is the word. It means to say the same thing as, to confess means to agree. And so agreeing with God causes our lives to become in alignment to what his will, purpose, and plan is for us. So I want to encourage you, go through them, write down the promises of God and begin to speak them over your life and watch when you trust in God, God is able to do amazing things in us. Jesus was the word made flesh and God wants to do the same for us. And so the gift of Christmas out of this story is this. Mary is that example. She's that model of what true biblical faith looks like. When we're willing to say, be it done to me according to your word. Till next time, this is Pastor Ken. 